Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Hillary. And this is the Probably Not Lupus podcast. Season two, we are back to discuss more medical mysteries and rare, strange, or unusual case studies. These are based on mostly true stories collected from our friends, medical history, journals, and fellow doctors. To protect privacy, names, dates, and locations may have been altered. Get ready for your medical mystery bolus. Probably Not Lupus is a show about our favorite medical mysteries. Nothing the hosts say should be taken for medical advice or opinion. We are not experts, nor are we journalists. It's just for fun. So enjoy. On a transpolar flight from Singapore to New York, a doctor comes on the overhead speakers. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a passenger with a confirmed case of bacterial meningitis. Even if we land as soon as possible, the passenger will not survive. It's very likely that some of you have been infected as well. As soon as you start feeling symptoms, we need to isolate you in the first class cabin. Fever, rash, nausea, and in the late stages, a tremor in the left hand. Moments later, several passengers rush to the first class cabin. The only problem is, Bacterial meningitis doesn't cause hand tremors. Listen now as Emma and Hillary discuss the unusual instances of mass sociogenic illness. Hello, and welcome back to episode 13, lucky 13 of the Probably Not Lupus podcast. Hello and welcome. I think it's kind of funny that it is lucky number 13 and Hillary's favorite topic is all things witchcraft. Yeah, we've really moved from the summer season one into our fall routine of season two. Yeah. And also, I mean, spooky season now, pumpkin spice ghosts, and we're almost at Halloween. Holy crap. So today let's talk about mass sociogenic illness. And maybe you've heard of this before. Maybe you've heard of it as mass hysteria, mass psychogenic disorder, or mass epidemics. And it's when a group of people believes they are suffering from a similar disease or ailment. Now, if we talk about the DSM-5, our diagnostic manual for psychiatric illness and disease, mass sociogenic illness is not in there. But if you look up conversion disorder, you will find mass sociogenic illness in relation to conversion disorder. Now, as I mentioned, although we call this mass sociogenic illness today, it originates from mass hysteria. And this is really an outdated term because, you know, sexism. Hysteria originates from the Greek word for uterus, hysteria. So with that little factoid, we're going to bring you a new segment today. We are going to call Menacin, aka Sexism in Healthcare. And let's start by going a long time back and talking about some witch trials. Your favorite topic. You are thriving right now. Yes. So in Europe, between about 1580 and 1630, there were many wars of religion. Certain denominations of Christianity began to accept the possibility of collaboration with the devil basically resulting in a person obtaining real supernatural powers and because they made a deal with the devil. And this led to the first mass hysteria events where an estimated 50,000 people were burned at the stake of whom 80% of them were women. And most of them were single and over the age of 40. 
So here we start to see that early depiction of a witch. And this fear spread to North America as well. And maybe you've heard of the Salem witch trials. I have. Yeah. So they were in the 1960s where more than 200 people were accused. 30 were found guilty of witchcraft because yes, it was illegal to participate in the act of witchcraft. And 19 were executed by hanging publicly. Oh, and 14 of those were again women. Now, at the time, the prevailing religion was Puritan, and they really believed that women were somehow inherently sinful and more susceptible to damnation than men were. And during this time, Puritans, especially Puritan women, actively attempted to thwart the devil to overtake them and their souls. And indeed, Puritans held the belief that men and women were equal in the eyes of God, but not in the eyes of the devil. And women's souls were seen as unprotected in their weak and vulnerable bodies. Now, obviously, this led to some pretty anti-women behavior back then. Women who did not conform to the norms of Puritan society were more likely to be the target of a witchcraft accusation, especially those who were unmarried or who did not have children. So in one specific example, this woman named Abigail Faulkner, who was accused in 1692 of witchcraft by her neighbor, he also accused Abigail of afflicting her children with witchcraft too. Now, Abigail eventually admitted she was angry at what the neighbor had said about the devil affecting her and her children, and that the devil may have temporarily overtaken her, causing her to harm her neighbors. So she was put on trial for witchcraft. During her trial, when she entered the room, her accusers would fall down on the floor in hysteria. Abigail also held a handkerchief in her hands, and while she was examined in court, whenever she would squeeze or twist this cloth, her accusers would have these grievous fits in the courtroom. Also, Faulkner's sister, sister-in-law, two of her daughters, two of her nieces, and a nephew would all be accused of witchcraft and arrested. Now, to bring this back to our topic of mass sociogenic illness, this is an interesting example because not only are the people accusing Abigail suffering, you know, they believe this bad thing is happening to them in their community, but the women being accused also seem to believe that they have supernatural powers bestowed on them from the devil, which obviously wasn't true. So today, instead of our usual one patient case, we are going to bring you groups of patients throughout history demonstrating examples of mass sociogenic illness which after that last segment in medicine, you might be tempted to believe is an old timey thing, but I promise you, we're gonna bring this all the way to 2021 at the end of the episode. Also, a little bit of background on our show. Mass sociogenic illness was depicted in a House MD episode, season three, episode 18, titled Airborne. And if you're new here and you haven't listened to our first season, you might be wondering why our podcast is called Probably Not Lupus. Well, Emma and I met while attending naturopathic medical school here in British Columbia, Canada, and developed a love of all rare, strange, and unusual case studies. The popular show House MD is based off of a real-life doctor named Lisa Sanders. In this particular episode, which you might have recognized from the teaser, House and his boss, Dr. Cuddy, are returning home from a conference on pandemics. During the transpolar flight from Singapore to New York, a passenger begins vomiting and develops a rash. This quickly spreads to other passengers on the flight, including Dr. Cuddy herself, and panic over a potential infectious illness spreads. Eventually, Dr. House discovers that this is a case of mass sociogenic illness, and no one was actually in any harm. 
He announces to the plane that if they have a tremor of the left wrist, they were likely to die. And of course, people began to demonstrate a tremor in their left wrist, which is basically a symptom of nothing other than mass sociogenic illness confirming Dr. House's theory. Now, this might be Hollywood fiction, but let's get into the real world and discuss actual cases of MSI. Thank you for that background on witchcraft and also introducing, I guess, the sort of basis of our show and about House MD. Um, also to add, Lisa Saunders also hosts the um, Netflix show called Diagnosis. So that was also a little bit of an inspiration hearing those stories of medical mysteries that hadn't been solved so far. So she is a true icon. Definitely. So today, let's start way back. In the Middle Ages, where the first recorded case of mass sociogenic illness was documented. Now, according to this old-timey book that cited an unnamed medical textbook, a nun who lived in a French covenant during an unspecified time in the Middle Ages inexplicably began to meow like a cat. Shortly after, the other nuns in the covenant began to meow as well. And eventually, all of the nuns would meow together for a certain period, leaving the surrounding community completely astonished. And this did not stop until the police threatened to whip the nuns. Wow. Whipping nuns. Yeah, the Middle Ages was a different time. Later, in 1518, there was a dancing plague recorded also in France. Well, it's what we call France in modern times, but you get what I'm saying. And what began as one woman feverishly dancing in the street eventually led to between 50 and 400 people taking to dancing in the streets for days. Historical documents, including physician's notes, cathedral sermons, local and regional chronicles, even notes issued by the city council are all clear that these victims danced with no breaks for days. Eventually, doctors intervened, putting the afflicted in the hospital. And there's some controversy over this fact you know, the records in 1518 maybe weren't great, but there are reports that state that some people ultimately danced to their deaths. Wow. Yeah. Moving forward in time, let's go to 1962, where a laughing epidemic was recorded in an all-girls boarding school in Tanzania. What started with three girls quickly spread throughout the school, ultimately affecting 95 of the 150 students. Symptoms lasted for a few hours, to 16 days in some cases. The teaching staff were unaffected and reported that the students were unable to concentrate on their lessons and ultimately the school was forced to close for two months because the giggles were uncontrollable. This illness was said to then spread back to the communities where the students lived as the school was now closed and the symptoms began to expand and include things like fainting, flatulence, respiratory problems, rashes, crying, and screaming. All in all, after 18 months, 14 schools ended up being shut down and a thousand people ultimately ended up getting this laughing epidemic. See, that's crazy to me because I get the things in the 1500s, like dancing stuff in France. Okay, fair enough. Who knows what their records are like? Who knows what was going on then? But this was only 60 years ago. Definitely. Now, also in 1962, an ocean away from Tanzania, here in North America, there was something called the June bug epidemic. And this mysterious disease broke out in a North Carolina textile factory. The symptoms were numbness, nausea, vomiting, and dizziness. Word of a bug in the factory that would bite its victims and cause them to develop those symptoms quickly spread. Soon, 62 employees developed this mysterious illness. 
Now, research by U.S. Public Health Service and the CDC concluded that the case was one of mass sociogenic illness. And while the researchers believed some workers were bitten by a bug, anxiety was probably the cause of the symptoms. And no evidence was ever found for a bug which could have explained their symptoms. Again, in the 60s, you would just think that people know more things now about how illness spreads. Fear is real, apparently. Hysteria, here we go. Okay. Now, moving forward one more time, in 1997, the Pokemon panic affected more than 12,000 Japanese children. They all seemingly suffered seizures while watching this specific episode of Pokemon. Although many doctors advanced theories, including photosensitive epilepsy, right? Like we kind of know that that's a case, right? You know, some people flashing lights can cause seizures. This was eventually discovered to be a case of mass sociogenic illness because this type of epilepsy could not explain the amount of people affected. Research eventually claimed the characteristic features of the Pokemon panic are more consistent with a diagnosis of mass sociogenic illness. And it was triggered by this sudden anxiety after a dramatic mass media report described the relatively small number of people who genuinely had photosensitive epilepsy. So as we can see here, All the symptoms are varied in all of these examples, you know, from dancing to laughing to seizures to bugs to rashes. One thing that research suggests all of these cases have in common, though, is psychological stress. An argument can be made that in the Middle Ages, life was not necessarily relaxing. And early France wasn't a great time to be alive either with disease and famine. Tanzania in 1962 was also going through war and gaining its independence. So maybe these environments are more likely to produce a mass sociogenic illness. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I thank you for that history lesson. I feel like I just travel through the time. I'm curious if you remember the 1997 Pokemon panic. I was too. So the answer is no. Okay. Right. (laughs) My mistake. Well, On that note, let's take a break here. And when we come back, we will discuss mass sociogenic illness in 2021 and what new researchers are proposing as mass social media induced illness. Welcome back to the Probably Not Lupus podcast episode on mass sociogenic illness. Let's discuss new research published this decade as opposed to before the break and see how mass sociogenic illness is still around today. Now, a little bit more about us before we get going here. There is a decade between Emma and I, and I'm the decade older, if you couldn't tell. (laughs) And it's often never better highlighted than our social media usage. It's true. Yes. And seeing as I don't have a TikTok account and Emma does, it only makes sense for her to present to you the newest and hippest research out there. Oh, I said hippest. That's not helping my case. It's definitely not. (laughs) Take it away. (laughs) Okay. Thanks Hill. So yes, we are both Instagram users and frequently sending each other memes all day. However, TikTok is by far my domain. I since Hill doesn't have an account, I actually have to save the video to my phone and then send it to her via text. It's kind of just a pain, but. Oh my gosh. I didn't realize you did that just so I could get the funny videos. (laughs) I do. Thank you. I do that just for you. So all of this reminds me of something from a few years ago, sightings of people in evil clown costumes in the United States 
Canada, and 18 other countries were dismissed as a case of mass hysteria, stating that a fear of clowns, which is very common in children and adults, may be an underlying cause. Vox website did an article on this that likewise claimed the great clown panic of 2016 has been perpetuated by pretty much everyone except actual clowns. I do remember this when everyone is like posting weird photos of people who are apparently like creepy clowns. And then some bad actors were out there like legitimately dressed like creepy clowns trying to scare people. So I saw some. I was living in Montreal at the time and I remember seeing some and just being like, kind of more like what's going on like it wasn't Halloween it wasn't any sort of thing where you would think it would be reasonable and then obviously just passing it by because I'm not scared of clowns but just being like you are not victim of a mass sociogenic illness shockingly I wasn't (laughs) so now let's bring it back to modern times 2021 where researchers in August so just last month published an article called stop that it's not Tourette's but a new type of mass sociogenic illness I loved reading this um I found it super interesting because although I don't know the main two tiktokers that they were discussing I do know that tiktok is used as a platform for a lot of people to show their illnesses um, and their conditions that they deal with every day to bring awareness to them and to decrease the stigma behind a lot of chronic conditions such as tourette's depression um, a lot of mental health conditions as well as more physical debilitating ones such as muscular dystrophy uh, crohn's you see people showing how they change their ileostomy bags and just trying to show people that this is their life and have people understand what they go through on a daily basis, especially ones who are amputees or use uh, mobile devices such as wheelchairs and kind of, you know, a home setup and things like that. Yeah, it really helps to destigmatize their condition and help other people who wouldn't know anything about it understand what their day-to-day life looks like. Exactly. And it just provides them a platform, which Yes, they're still really mean internet bullies. However, I think they find a lot of support in it. And I know we've talked about online form communities with breast implant illness and chronic Lyme, and this kind of provides them to see other people who are also facing the same struggles and um, sort of reach out and have support through that community, whether it just be comments or um, actual messages about it. So right, it's a great platform for most things. Uh, But this article discusses something called mass social media induced illness or MSMI for short. It highlights one main TikToker named Jan Zimmerman, who is from Germany with Tourette's syndrome. This individual Jan Zimmerman is very well known on, on TikTok and has a large following. So it's ultimately describing an increase in cases of individuals coming to doctors and physicians with Tourette's syndrome or Tourette's like tics. It's really interesting because he has certain words that he says in German and people all over the world are saying them in English and using the same words. So it kind of took a little bit of time, but slowly doctors kind of started to catch on. So it kind of makes sense if you see one patient, you're like, okay, this is happening. And then you see, you know, over the next couple months, you start to see more and more people with something like Tourette's, which is, you don't see a lot of people coming in with like new cases of it as frequently in adolescence. Right. And often they're like very differing in their presentation. These are a whole bunch of people at the same time with the same presentation after 
all having watched this very popular star on TikTok. Exactly. And it's like the people on the flight who all of a sudden have a hand tremor. Right. Very similar thing here. Um, and they were saying the same words as ticks and they were saying it in the same tone and they would also change their ticks over time. And ticks generally stay the same um, in terms of the word that they choose. Right. However, they were noticing that these people were changing them more frequently Yawn, one of his things is that he uses different tones depending on whether he's obviously speaking or has a tick. Um, and sometimes these people were, sometimes they weren't. So it was a little bit inconsistent with their symptoms to bring it close to home in Canada. And actually in Calgary, there is a TikToker, a 20 year old female by the name of Evie Meg. She also has Tourette's and she is very well known for showing her day-to-day -day life. Um, one of her most viral TikToks is of her trying to pour milk into a cereal bowl, but she has such bad ticks that the milk is all over the counter. Right. And the researchers also pointed out something else that I thought was interesting and how in Germany, like you mentioned, the TikTok star, he's male. Yeah. There were many male patients coming forward with Tourette syndrome, whereas in North America, where Evie Meg, a female star is more popular, there's way more women coming forward. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a nine to one ratio in Canada of females coming forward right now. Something else I think was really interesting about this article is they talk about how this MSMI is triggered by eco-anxiety and the COVID-19 pandemic. Right. So if we circle back to what I was talking about, psychological stress, that's exactly what these teens are under. And so it could be argued that the COVID-19 pandemic contributed to a state of mind where mass sociogenic illness was more likely to develop in these teens. And the article also states that a lot of it is looking for some sort of attention and things to set people apart. However, the individuals who are getting onto this trend, they don't realize that a lot of other people are also doing it. So it actually doesn't make them unique in the end. Right. And like we mentioned earlier, although TikTok can be a great place for these people to destigmatize their conditions, it also leads to an arena where anyone can try and cash in on that fame or fortune that comes along with being a viral star. Exactly. Now, although this research makes it seem that people may be faking their illness, it's also important to remember that you, the average human, they're, you're not a psychiatrist who specializes in these types of disorders, and you're not able to really tell what is a real tick from a fake one. So best advice is don't go out there accusing people of faking any illness. Healthy skepticism is important as it appears that sometimes fake illnesses can be spread from person to person. However, dismissing a person's symptoms really doesn't help anyone in the end. Right. Like you said, the average person who's not a psychiatrist is not an expert. You have no place telling someone if their ticks are real or fake. Leave that to the experts. Exactly. And I think this kind of ties all of our episodes together really well from chronic Lyme to breast implant, even Munchausen by proxy. Ultimately, everyone is facing their own battles. Everyone has their own struggles mm -hmm. and leave it to the experts. And, you know, I think this shows sort of a twist on now using social media for both the good things with these people being able to destigmatize conditions, but also the bad things with popping an illness. Right. For clout, as we say nowadays, Hillary. Right, right. Thank you. Yes, I'm learning new terms every day. The lingo. Yeet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note. So <laughs> 
All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode on mass sociogenic illness. I guess we learned that the mind is probably a lot more influential than we even begin to understand. And then there's that whole idea of a mind trying to describe or understand a mind, which leads me into an all too familiar existential crisis. So instead, I'm going to leave you with one final quote from our favorite Dr. House MD. Your mind controls your body. If it thinks you're sick, it makes you sick. Ooh, mic drop. That's a good one, Lisa. (laughs) She's so great. Thank you, Dr. Sanders. We appreciate all of the hard work you did on house. A true icon. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, to this week's episode. We truly had a good time doing it, as we always do alone in our bedrooms, talking to each other. (laughs) See you next week. Have a good one. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want to support our show, you can subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe even give us a rating and leave us a comment. Probably Not Lupus is written, recorded, edited, and produced by us alone, still in our bedrooms. If you want to chat with us, you can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, and Gmail at Probably Not Lupus.